Lachlan McKenna is a multi-award winning writer and director from Cork City, Ireland, and has directed music videos for bands such as Westlife and Keen. Now, his screenplay, Two for the Road, won the RTE Francis McManus short story competition before it was made into a short film with its original title, Guinness and Coke. Now, his short film, Two for the Road, is the story of a father and son enjoying their weekend together, despite the father, played by Steve Wall, letting the pub derail their time together. Now, set in 1990s Ireland, Two for the Road has qualified to be considered for a 2024 Academy Award after winning Best Drama Short at the Oscar-qualifying Galway Film Festival. So, ladies and gentlemen, let's welcome writer-director Lachlan McKenna and his Oscar-qualifying short film, Two for the Road, to the show. Welcome, Lachlan. Thank you so much for having me on. Pleasure. Yeah, well, I've got to say, I loved your short film, Two for the Road, and I was kind of wondering, is this based on a true story? Yes, very much so, and it's been it's been quite a cathartic experience, really, how we made it. Um, it started off as the short story during the pandemic. I guess I had uh, the space to write. Um, I'd always been good at writing, but never really allowed myself to, to write down any of these stories. And uh, yeah, you know, I'd had some very colorful adventures with my father as a kid, and um, this was just one of those stories that came out. And as you mentioned, you know, we won the, or I won the short story, or I was nominated for the short story competition. And um, from there, it kind of gave us the groundwork to make the film. Uh, but yeah, no, it, it comes from a very personal place. Well, so uh, so with the lockdowns due to the pandemic, were you in the UK or you were in Ireland during that time? I was in Ireland. Yeah, I was back home, my family home in the countryside. It was gorgeous. A lot of a lot of roaming around the fields and and being in nature and <laughs> avoiding the hustle and bustle and city life. Well, so I guess that that time of having to, as as we all were, forced to slow down. So that gave you the the time and the space and the thought process to sit down and write the screenplay? Yeah, and I think, yeah, 100%. And I think the other thing which, which you know, I always kind of, um, I suppose I'm thankful for, is it gave me the space to redraft, which is something, it's one thing to write, but it's another thing to redraft. And, you know, I had, I'd allowed myself the space and time to keep working on it and altering just small bits and pieces and draft by draft by draft. I was like, oh, this, this story's actually in a really nice place now. And um, in doing so, was able to, you know, it, it just by happenstance, I saw this competition came up and I was like, oh, I've, I've got a story now that would fit that perfectly. And um, yeah, it kind of it fell into place organically, but it all it all came from having the space to write in the first place. So, so the original title of the screenplay was actually Guinness and Coke, and it came to me so quickly. It's so funny, like without any thought process at all. I just thought Guinness and Coke, and uh, you know, down to fairly obvious legal reasons, we couldn't call it Guinness and Coke, <laughs> the film itself. Um, I think you know it's one of those things. Maybe, maybe if we didn't have a funding body, or if we had you know really, really pushed, perhaps it could have happened. But you're battling with Coca-Cola and Diageo, so it's you know two two major players would have been quite complex, especially with the nature of the film. You know. Well, I think the title Two for the Road" fits this story perfectly. Uh, I love the film, and be and I love the fact that you wrote you created a film, a story of a father and son relationship. And, you know, we all know that father-son stories can go in many different directions. But your story focuses from the perspective of Oscar, the son. Uh, why did you choose that perspective? Yeah, it's a great question. And it's it's actually very important and intrinsic to the whole thing, really. You know, I think, I suppose, well, the obvious answer is because it was based on my own childhood, is, is the first kind of thing. But also, you know, with, with, with films like that, 
uh, especially when you have, um, you know, characters that are struggling with alcoholism or whatnot, you get a lot of sort of, you know, I always use the same reference, but when characters are um, drunk, you always get this sort of, you know, uh, loose, handheld hand sort of um, fever dream sort of effect of, of drunkenness. Uh, for me, it was really important that we're always seeing everything through Oscar's perspective. So when things are, are loose and fun for him, then we're, we're, we're handheld, we're long lens, you know, we're moving with him. And then when things are stark and frightening and scary, you know, or when, when his father is drunk with him, you know, we're very static, we're very wide, you know, we hold in the shot for a long time. And, um, you know, I think that there's, there's, there's an awful lot you can do with from a child's perspective um, in an adult world, you know? So it's, it's kind of trying to marry those two things together and give it the right lens. And this, the same thing went with the color, the color palette. I never wanted it to be this sort of, you know, the term misery porn. It was always, I always wanted it to be, you know, colorful and bright. The weather didn't play ball in that sense, but um, we, yeah, always wanted it to, to feel fun because, you know, he's, he's a 10 year old, so it should never feel too, too heavy until it actually is heavy. Well, I thought the weather was, I've been to Ireland, so it works. I mean, it can be, you know, cloudy and rainy a lot of times, not really seeing the sunshine, um, probably a lot during the wintertime. And I love the oh. fact that the story is so raw and so real because it wasn't just the father and son uh, having a super happy weekend, but you showed happy moments. You sh showed some of the joyful moments. Uh, and then uh, you showed the father, you actually revealed the father's demons. Why was that important? Um, I think it's funny. It, it, it's, it's kind of a complex one. You know, I think from my perspective, and I think what makes the film interesting um, is that I never wanted to vilify the, the father character. So, you know, we all have our own demons, but in the end of the day, he's, he's doing his best. He's, he's present. He's turning up. You know, he's trying to make the weekends fun and adventurous, but he's got his own adult problems. And I think, um, you know, for him, for him, it's his alcoholism. But, you know, he's not a bad character. He's not a bad person. He's, he's doing his best for his child. But unfortunately, with an adult gaze on that, we can see that it's not appropriate. It's, it's not a safe environment. But we can only see that because we, the viewers, are adults that can watch it. But from Oscar's perspective, the young boy, you know, uh, yeah, of course, there, there's... there's um, there's fear and there's jeopardy, but he's he's also you know happy to be with his father and he's enjoying um, their weekend together. So it's it's that sort of um, you know dichotomy that I think creates the conflict that I, that is drawing audiences in and making people feel very conflicted because they have a lot of a lot of um, want to help Oscar for him to be taken out of the situation, but in the end of the day he's with his father and he loves his father. So you know you you have this sort of complex scenario. Yeah, I I also noticed that. <clears throat> towards the ending of the film that Oscar, you know, even though there was a little bit of the, the conflict with, during the weekend, and it was mostly due to the, the father, you know, having too much to drink at the pub, but the son showed a, he went into a protective mode, so to speak, when it came to coming home and, uh, you know, his father dropping him off at his mother's. So he never tells his mother of anything bad about the weekend. He just says, oh, you know, he was basically acting like great weekend with dad. Everything's fine. Nothing to worry about. Because if she found out that he was drunk, you know, that whole relationship could change in an instant. So I love the fact that Oscar wanted to protect his father and 
And that was the love that the son had for him. Yeah, exactly. And again, like, you know, like all relationships, it's complex. And, you know, kids, kids that come from sort of um, separated parents, there's, there's a lot of being the mediator. There's a lot of keeping secrets. There's a lot of picking sides un, unbeknownst to yourself or, or whatnot. And I think in this case, you know, um, or in my case, as it was, uh, you know, I was sort of sworn to secrecy and I, I didn't know anything else really, you know, because I, I really enjoyed my weekends with my father and they were, they were very exciting and they were different from other kids. And, um, you know, that was, that was all, uh, it was colorful, but it was wonderful. And I, you know, I was kind of willing to take the bad with the good. And I think that um, it's the same in the film, you know, Oscar's willing to kind of make that sacrifice because, you know, it doesn't want the weekends to stop and also doesn't want to cause conflict and strife between his parents, which I think is the, is, is the common kind of um, scenario for people. Yeah. And, and I thought that was really, it was, it was like this. Uh, and, and when people watch the film, you really have to kind of pay attention and look at it a little deeper to realize that Oscar has this love for both his parents. He, he wants to have a, a stable childhood as much as possible without rocking the boat and causing a problem. Now, I also noticed something in the film, which maybe people outside of Ireland may not know, but because I've been to Ireland myself and, and talked to many people there and learned some things, and then I noticed something in your film. I noticed that the dialects were a bit difficult to determine what part of Ireland okay. they came from. Was that done on purpose or by accident? Very much on purpose. Uh, it's a bugbear of mine when you watch something and you can immediately define where it is. So yeah, no, it was important to me for for a number of reasons, I guess. Like my my father moved around a lot. He traveled around, and um, his his accent is very indistinguishable. Um, I don't know if you can tell from my accent. I've got a very neutral Irish accent. So what I didn't want is for us. And we got very lucky in terms of the casting because Ewan has a very neutral accent. But um, what I didn't want is to, to find the, the most perfect child and for them to be from Mayo, and they've got a very thick Mayo accent, and then everyone's thinking, oh, okay, it's, it's a Mayo. And, and immediately their brain is trying to go, oh, okay, I wonder what pub in Mayo that is, or what road in Mayo they shot that on, or whatever. By making it, um, you know, I don't know, indistinct, then um, I think the viewer can kind of get more immersed in the story, and, and you know, uh, it, it, it doesn't become about the location. It, it probably is an Irish thing, because I think Ireland's well, so you know, it's and everyone knows the locations, but... Well, and what's what I found really very interesting and cool about your film, and because of the dialects, you know, a lot of people in America they think, oh yeah, the Irish have this one accent. They think Germans have one, the British have one, Australians <laughs> have one. But just like in America, you can know if somebody was raised in New York or New Jersey or California or Texas. And so you pick up knowing where they're from, but in other I, I'm foreign very, countries, I'm very impressed. It, yeah, and in the foreign countries, it's the same way. And when when I was in Ireland, I had someone tell me they said, "Oh yeah, so and so's from this region," and I'm like, "How do you know that?" And it didn't dawn on me that there are different levels of dialects in Ireland, just like they are in America. And like you said, there are areas of Ireland that when they speak. The accent is so strong, you almost have a hard time trying to figure out what they're saying. Exactly. I think that's very well observed of you, in fairness, fair play. <laughs> but no, it's very, <laughs> it's very true. It's very true. Um, Ireland, for such a tiny country, has so many different dialects, even from town to town. 
um, the accent can change massively. So, you know, where we were shooting as well in West Cork, it, very, very strong accent there, very much so. And in fact, Ewan Morris, who plays Oscar, is from Tralee, also an area of the very, um, uh, very strong accent, Kerry people, but um, his father's from Scotland, so neutralized. Um, in the same way, my, my accent is neutralized. So it just worked out uh, very, very fortuitously, really. Yeah, and I, and I think it, like you said, it, it makes the film very neutral so that way the audience pays attention to the actual story and not focusing on a particular dialect now how how was what was the casting process like when you were looking for the characters of oscar and hugh uh yeah very very interesting as you can imagine I, i'm not sure if you're familiar with the term um swallowing the frog do you know that term yeah, but swallowing the swallowing the frog um, basically means that you do the hardest task first. And I think for me, I didn't swallow the frog because I left it, <laughs> kept, kept pushing it down the road because it was such a personal um, thing for me that I was I was struggling with it a bit. You know, I wanted to really get it right, um, not not just for myself, but I guess also you know I wanted to do right by my father and my mother, and such a, such an odd thing to do anyway. Um, and I, I guess it never really mattered to me about the likeness. I never really wanted anyone to look like me or my dad, but um, it was important to me that we got the right actor and that the father and son would have the right rapport, obviously, and, um, you know, feed off each other well and that they would have a likeness of each other. Um, so, you know, I, I really, I struck gold with Ewan. Ewan is phenomenal. He's, he's, I miss him. I actually miss being on set with him. He'd never acted before, um, never been to an audition before in person. Um, it was his first ever job and he just like lit up the room. He, he was just so fervent and energetic and offered so much. And, you know, by, by day three, he was a bit like, oh, and like if I have my bag in my left hand um, in scene 17, then I should have it in my left hand going to scene 18, shouldn't I? And do you want my eye to be on that C um to be in the C stand there? And like just constantly aware and offering so much. Um, and he'd ask me questions as well, like, um, you know, obviously, when when you were traveling around Ireland in in the nineties, you wouldn't have had a phone. So when you were looking out the window, like what would you've been thinking about when you were driving around, and these sort of things, like really trying to get into like not just his own character, but the character of what I or, or what I would have experienced as well. You know, um, and you know, Steve is a very experienced actor, and um, you know, I think that he really helped you and as well sort of mentored him, and they worked as like this brilliant duo together. Uh, we did we did um, a rehearsal day in Dublin together, and you know we played pool, and you know myself and Steve and Ewan and his mother sat down and just just explained to him how a set worked. You know we had to explain all of you know how takes worked and you know <laughs> everything, every single element of of the filmmaking process, um, because he yeah it was his first time and he absolutely smashed it. So did you have both uh, both characters spend time together so that way they would end up you know, having a better synergy on camera. So, and not just coming in onto the set cold, so to speak. Yeah, exactly. I wanted them to spend as much time as possible together beforehand. Um, now, obviously with, with schedules and money and et cetera, et cetera, I wasn't able to, to do as much as I wanted, but you no, know, we had that day in, in Dublin and, you know, we played pool and um, brought them to, to Steve. Steve's a musician as well. He's um, the lead singer in a very famous Irish band called The Stunning. Um, so it went to um, Steve's studio, which I think was also was good, <laughs> lovely experience for me, but also for you. And you know, I'm I'm a big fan of the stunning, so it was nice to to see his studio. But um, just we um, rehearsed some of the you know the physical action as well. You know, he carries him into the the house at the end, and just wanted to make sure that we. Um, I suppose it was it was sort of like um, uh, an intimacy workshop in one sense, I guess, making sure that they were okay with touch, 
um, you know, in the presence of his mother and because of his father and son, obviously there's, there has to be kind of um, a closeness in terms of the physicality as well as the um, emotional sense. So yeah, working through all those things as well as the script. Well, I've, I've got to ask you because I was doing a little bit of research. Did you really film with 16 millimeter Kodak film? You better believe it. Yeah. <laughs> was that was that film hard to find? No, not at all. No, no. Um, you, there's no lab in Ireland, but there's there's a couple of labs in London. Um, I live in London, and I'd shot my previous short film was shot in 16 mil as well, boxed up. But that was a one shot, so it was a little simpler. Um, we we did. It's it's funny. I was pretty unwavering. I kind of knew from the outset it had to be shot in film, um, and you know, I suppose the logic behind that was that. Uh, you know, I wanted it to feel like a 90s memory, I wanted it to, to, in terms of the texture, the feeling, you know, Owen McLaughlin, my DOP, and I had gone through a lot of old photographs I've had, I had of myself and my dad. Um, I really wanted to emulate that look. So, you know, they were all shot in 35 mil, obviously just like, you know, point and shoot cameras. You know, a lot so, of people don't realize that the 1990s, you know, we don't even think of filming of a piece based in the 1990s as a period film but in a mm. way it really is but if you filmed it with a digital camera it wouldn't have that true feel of its time period and so by yeah. using true film, which i think film is the best i mean how how many feet of film did you use yeah, it's funny. I should probably I'm probably <laughs> jump with the gun a bit. I should probably explain a bit better. So yeah, there's we we bought twelve rolls of film, I believe, and we shot eleven. There's four hundred feet in each roll. Um, now and you get about ten minutes of footage per roll. So we do, do you know what though? For this particular project, it actually married perfectly because Ewan is thirteen playing ten, but he can only be on set for so many hours, and we also only had so much film, so we could only do so many takes anyway. So it just meant that, uh, you know, in terms of the process of working with them, I would just, you know, do enough rehearsals that we were happy. We'd shoot a take or two and then move on. Now, thankfully, Ewan was brilliant because if he wasn't, it would have been a disaster. <laughs> but um, we, yeah, no, it, it all worked perfectly in that sense. And uh, yeah, the, like the benefit of it in terms of yeah. the look is, is, is astronomical, really. What I love is you have the challenge of using real film. And it's not like using a digital camera where like, Oh, you could do 30 takes and just delete it and keep going. And which can be cost effective because you're not buying film, but you don't have that true look. So it's, it's funny, Lachlan, just this season alone, I have seen short films from eight millimeter. Yours was a 16 millimeter. And then there was one that was a 35 millimeter. And there's just that look you just can't replicate with digital. Even if you took it into post and added all the overlays, you still don't have that true sense of film. And I just think that just, like you said, it adds to the overall story. Yeah, 100%. And, you know, I would never go back if I could help it. <laughs> um, I once heard someone describe it really, really well. It was someone who works in um, CineLab in London. It was a, a workshop during the pandemic. But they described, I hope I can get this right, but they said that if you were to film something and uh, there was a dark patch and you were shooting digitally, the dark is, the black is flat, basically. But on film, it, it moves because the grain moves and there's a texture and the brain is automatically alert to shadows that move. So we're constantly on edge. 
not on edge, but like aware. Your brain is constantly awake and constantly aware when you're watching film because the shadows move. Wow, that means that if you ever wanted to film a suspense thriller, then you'd want to use film <laughs> because like you said, then the blacks have that tendency to move and then our own eyes and our brains will actually register that automatically. Wow. Without even realizing, yeah. I never knew that. That, oh, that, true. Is, a, that, <laughs> that is a really cool thing to, to learn and to understand. Um, so, and, and the other thing that I love about you using real film is that it increases the challenge. Like you said, you only have so much time, so much film. So you have to focus on the story. You have to focus on the shot and you have to keep the retakes down to a bare minimum. So in essence, you're creating a really true short story. Mm, exactly. It's, it's discipline, you know, and I do wonder, I've been kind of pondering this, you know, when you, when you do, or when one does start making bigger films, and if you do want to shoot in 35 or 65, do they just have an endless supply? Does, does, does that discipline go out the window? Not an endless supply, but is there a case for just being like, we can like, you know, can your Chris Nolans, whatever, can they shoot 50 takes or something if they want? Because, you know, I don't know. I, I'm curious because obviously when you're at, you know, say where we are with this sort of budget on a short film like this, you have to be disciplined. But I don't know if that if that changes or goes out the window. Maybe you know. Well, you can ask one of your guests. <laughs> well, <laughs> so I, I, I learned this last week. Uh, in, the, in the film Mrs. Doubtfire with Robin Williams, they still have 2 million feet of film of his outtakes alone. Oh, my God. Wow. And so now they're looking at the film thinking, can we create, which I'm sure they can, if you have 2 million feet of film, to create a documentary based oh, on all my. of his ad-libbing in that film. I'm like, I'm trying to fathom. Here you are at 400 feet per roll. So you have 12 rolls. So you're looking 4, at like just a hair under 5,000 feet. And they have 2 million. That's unfathomable <laughs> for me. That's crazy. Well, what kind of camera did you use? Uh, we shot in a Ari SR2. There's there's two amazing guys. I'm sure they'll appreciate the shout out. Ronan Nissenbaum and JP Quill, and they are um, Ireland's film nerds. So everything shot in film goes through them basically. They just live and breathe it, and you know they they constantly go to Kodak Labs. They know the Kodak people. They're they they're made of film <laughs> essentially. So having them on board was um, yeah, it was kind of the only way to do it really. Well, did you did you set up any shots or test shots using digital before you actually turned a film camera on? No, but I mean, saying that we, you know, on the Reckies, we we took a lot of photographs on our phones, and I sort of built a storyboard based on those Recky mockups, you know. So the storyboard was was built out of digital photographs, I suppose, from my phone. But um, we kind of just worked off that and and script, and you know. Um, I can see, like I can see the monitor, so I can. I was able to frame up um, as as I needed to or wanted to. But yeah. Well, how long did it take you to go from screenplay to a finished film? Do you know it's funny? I work in commercials a lot, so I was quite adamant to um, to kind of you know sort of do the post like we would a commercial. You know, kind of work out a schedule. In fairness, and credit to my producers too for for kind of facilitating that. Um, Gorney Dwyer and Natalie Britton, but we, 
Um, we shot in March, and the whole thing was done in June. Yeah, finished in June. So um, there was a little bit of a delay. I was, I was kind of holding out to get the editor I wanted, Dan Sherwin. Uh, Guy Ritchie had, had nicked him from me. Um, so I had to wait for Guy Ritchie to release him, and then we got him. <laughs> uh, but yeah, he's, he's amazing. Really, really brilliant editor, Dan. It's funny, it's one of the, the, the elements that I'm most happy with. You know, I'm sure there's, you know, obviously thousands of brilliant editors in the world, but every time I watch it back, I'm just like, there's so many brilliant editorial decisions that came from him um, that have really accentuated the film in a way that I, um, I suppose I wasn't expecting before I saw the first rough cut. Well, I loved the story from beginning to end flows seamlessly. The cinematography as part of the storytelling, it flows seamlessly and the audience knows exactly what is going on with this story i mean for you what has been the audience's response to this film yeah it's been um overwhelmingly positive i would say to be honest um and you know when we had our premiere in galway i you know i thought that i was prepared for the, the premiere i suppose emotionally i thought i was prepared and you know, the, we were the the tenth film of a ten film program, so I I was kind of sitting there waiting through nine films. I think we had seventy people there all together between friends, family, and you know my grandmother was there, and my brother and sister were there, and all these sort of things. And you know, I suppose the longer I waited and was was letting this fester, the more emotion was coming up in me. And the first frame of the film came on, and uh, I just I just burst out crying. I was just in bits, um, and was hyperventilating and whatnot. But the reason I say that is because you know. I left the cinema and was met by so many other people that were crying and they couldn't speak and we were kind of hugging each other and, you know, a combination of strangers and people I knew. And I suppose, you know, it was so visceral to see their reaction um, combined with my own reaction. I was like, okay, this is like, you know, it sounds a bit kind of maybe, you know, twee to say it, but it, it did sort of solidify the fact for me that I wanted to be a filmmaker or, or to make films like that, you know, furthermore, because it was like, if you can get this sort of reaction, it's so rare as a filmmaker that you get to experience that reaction firsthand. Like so soon after um, having having um, you know uh, screened the film, so yeah, I, to have that reaction from people was, well, was well, really special. Do you have any? Experience. Yeah, do you have any plans for Two for the Road to be a full feature? That is the plan. Yeah. So the plan is at the minute I am writing it. I'm writing a book basically, which will be ten stories long. Well, it might be more, might be less. And the the sort of plan in my head is that there'll be ten. Um, a story for every weekend, different weekends with my dad, basically, um, across what I think would be 10 years, from 5 to 15. Um, and, yeah, there'd be kind of a, a variant, some some darker than others, <laughs> some brighter than others. And uh, that I'm, I'm kind of expecting that book then to be the basis for the screenplay and the feature. And I think we'll kind of follow, or I hope to follow, the whiplash model of using Two for the Road to, to sort of fund the, uh, the feature as well as sort of proof of concept, you know? Well, how does it feel to be Oscar qualified? Surreal, <laughs> exciting. Yeah, as, as you know, I'm sure um, voting starts tomorrow, so um, it's exciting. You know, I, I always said I didn't I didn't really care if we didn't get it as long as we kind of left every stone unturned and did our best for the film. So you know, we're here. I I I, I wouldn't change anything about the film. I'm very proud of the film. Very proud of you know the the team and everything that's been put into it. Um, so you know, if if it goes one step further, brilliant. If it doesn't, then you know, we'll go back to the festival circuit. You know, we've only just started our festival circuit, so it's very early doors for us, really. Um, so, you know, the whole, at least another year of the festival to go. And, um, yeah, we'll see. We'll see. Well, so what projects do you have planned for 2024? 
Good question. Uh, I am trying to get some funding for a documentary. Um, it's sort of a, I speak Irish as well, so it's a bilingual uh, sports documentary in Ireland, um, which I suppose I probably can't say much about because I haven't received funding yet. But that's that's looking positive. Um, and then yeah, beyond that, it'll just be you know, there's commercials, there's kind of short docs. There's always there's always so much to do and so much to um, to get stuck into. You know. Well, I, I will say this, ladies and gentlemen. Two for the Road is an excellent short film, and it deserves to be Oscar qualified. Great storytelling, cinematography coming from the real use of Kodak film, which just adds to the realism to this father-son adventure story. And Lachlan, thank you so much for sharing your film with us, <clears throat> sharing your film with thank us today. Thank you so much. I really, really appreciate it. Thanks for having me on. And fingers crossed you'll see more of us <laughs> in the coming weeks. <laughs> I, I know that the, the short list is going to be announced uh, here in the next coming week or so. So I know everybody's on pins and needles. Uh, but, you know, two for the road will always be associated with the words Oscar qualified. <laughs> true, true. Well, maybe we'll come back on. We can have another chat at shortlist stage and nomination, maybe. <laughs> hey, I will. Hey. Love to see you. Well, the, the door is open, and I know that with a short list and even a nomination, definitely you've got to come back, and we can talk more about this incredible film. And ladies and gentlemen, like I said, you've got to check out, when you have the chance to see Two for the Road, it's excellent storytelling at its best. The I real should, use should, of I, film. Yeah, go ahead, Lachlan. I, sh I should say on that point, it's on Amaletto at the minute for a very, for a very limited time only, um, just with the lead-up to the vote. So if anyone wants to check it out, it's on Amaletto. Yes, and that is the place for many, many short films, ladies and gentlemen. So check that out as well. And again, you can't beat watching a film that was filmed on film instead of going to the digital age. He brought the true realism of the 1990s Ireland uh, to us all. You're going to love this story, love this film. It's one of my favorites of the year. And again, ladies and gentlemen, I want to thank you for watching and listening. Remember, filmmaking is an art. And on Bond on Cinema, and also film directors just like Lachlan McKenna is keeping that creative art alive. And as for me, I hope to see you at the movies.